Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique? Nothing stops these people. Welcome to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. You're about to meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events, and emerged triumphantly. They're people just like you and me, and they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Here's Frankie to show you how. Well, hello there, and welcome to another Mission Unstoppable. Wow, I'm so excited to have you guys join me today, as well as my beautiful guest. At six foot five, Donna Blevins is a larger-than-life figure who can command attention just by walking in a room. But she is also a successful entrepreneur, and this is where you and I kind of get similar. <laughs> Former model, actor, marketer, ad salesman, real estate broker, firm owner, manager, publisher, trainer, journalist, gamer, media consultant, speaker, author, and coach, Woo! which also includes being an international poker player and coach and has the attention of audiences everywhere she goes. You see, Donna had a life-threatening stroke that should have had her out of commission for a very long time. She couldn't even speak having lost her language center, but using her own mind-shifting techniques, she took control of her terror and shifted her mind into a calm space where she could begin to retrieve what was lost. Three days later, Donna sat up, shocked the metal community by speaking. Wow, can't wait to hear about that. Along with her mind shift coaching, Donna works with many groups of people today, including the wounded warriors who struggle with PTSD and those with traumatic brain injury, obviously something she knows about. And whether you want to be successful in business or get through your midlife crisis, rid yourself instantly of fear and anxiety like she did, or play poker with a straight face, Donna can help you control your mindset, which as we know is the biggest challenge we all face when wanting to change something about ourselves we don't want or don't even know we have. Uh, her latest book, Mind Shift on Demand, will have you revving your engines and swiftly moving in and out of thoughts that don't serve you and protect you from energy vampires. Welcome, Donna. <laughs> Woo! Uh, you're, you're, we, we lost your volume. Oh, no, we lost her. Hello? Am now I there? You're now you're back. <laughs> oh, sorry, that was my fault. I actually had muted myself so I could... Uh, Swish out my mouth. I just forgot to unmute myself. Oh, <laughs> thank, you very, okay. thank you oh, very much for having me here. I, I am definitely with a like-minded soul sister, and I'm so excited to be on your show. Thank you so much, Donna. You know, this is Mission Unstoppable. And so you wrote this wonderful book, and we're going to get to all of that. But we have, we have a lot of time. So I like to always find out who I'm sitting with. Who was little Donna who grew up in the Appalachians and in, in West Virginia in a little coal mining town? Tell me about the town. How many people were there? Who, 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 who you know, influenced you the most? Well, who influenced me the most is my mother. My mm -hmm. mother is absolutely my touchstone. Uh, she is a true entrepreneur. When I was 12 years old, my mother bought a credit bureau from a woman at church. Mother didn't have any money. Wow. But she bought it on time. And mother paid, now this was 1961, and since I was 12, you can do the math in relationship to my age. <laughs> mother actually um, uh, did it over time, but she paid $5,000 for a credit bureau. Wow. Uh, yeah. Do the numbers on that, and you'd go, she did what? 
but it, we had a two-bedroom home in a coal mining camp, and she put the files, the, the, the desk, and the phone in the corner of my and my brother's bedroom. So I was raised in a credit bureau. <laughs> I love that. I love that. When was the first time you remember holding a deck of cards? The first time I remember holding a deck of cards that used in poker was in 1996. Any any time you picked up a deck of cards before you knew about poker, that was well, the very first time. It, it, I actually had played rook and old maid as a kid. Yeah, those were the only kind, the only games we played. Um, mother didn't care. I mean, it, it was no problem. Uh, but did you have an affinity for the cards? Did you always love cards, or you never thought about it again until 1996? <laughs> it, I really had no idea what I thought about the cards. Um, it was, I had, um, and fleeting kind of thought, well, that might be interesting, but I really didn't have any idea about it. And it was uh, an amazing experience because my, my husband and I were, uh, had a real estate company in Southwest Florida and I was the, uh, management director for management broker for the department of veterans affairs for five counties. Wow. And I was responsible for taking custody of properties the VA had acquired because of the foreclosure process. And I was so overworked and I was so stressed. And I'd been doing that for seven years. And I was, you know, we were working 17 hours a day, seven days a week. And I was always worried about what I had done yesterday and, and what I was going to do tomorrow. And I was in this frantic chaos place. And I was... Uh, sat down at, at a poker table because they had opened the card room in the bingo halls of the Seminoles in 1996. And I thought, well, maybe I'd like to learn how to play poker. And I asked my husband if he'd teach me. And he went through that. You know how when you say something and people do the, the you can see the gears shifting in their head. And it was like, hmm, it's a guy's game. But Man's playing in it to you. <laughs> but it was because he... He went through the process, and I could see him go, well, if she likes to play, then I'll be able to play more because yeah. I didn't care if he played, but there was really no place for him to play. Yeah. So I'm sitting at the card table, and I'm in a hand, and I'm fretting about what was happening. And, and all of a sudden, the universe did one of those smacks in the, in the forehead, you know, those, and I had that epiphany thought, which was, there's only one thing I have control over, and that's how I play the hand I'm in. Nothing else exists. The cards are gone. There's nothing I can do about what the cards, what that relationship or what whatever I was doing in that hand. And the future cards are not yet here. So all I can do is play the hand I'm in. So the power of mindfulness came over me because of poker. And if it hadn't been for poker, I believe because of stress, I wouldn't be here today. I'd be dead. Wow. And, and that's so true of, of everything in our life. It's the hand we, we're played in life, right? No matter what we go through or what happens to us or traumatic events, divorce or get hit by a car or get hit by a motorcycle or on your motorcycle like I did, you know, it's the only thing we can do is play with what we got. So we got to take those gifts and do something with them, turn them into, you know, something delicious. <laughs> That's right. And one of the things that I learned through being a poker coach, I, I had no intention of being a poker coach. 
I became a poker journalist because I wanted to find out why the same people kept getting to the final table in tournaments. Ah. And I wanted to interview them. And besides, I wanted to go to tournaments and in order to be able to justify having travel as a business expense, then I had a business as a journalist. So I just wanted to ask you one thing about these poker players. Like, were they like mathematic geniuses or were they intuitive? Were they lucky? Like, like what was, what made the winner the winners? It has to do with getting your head in the game Mm -hmm. because poker is certainly a card game played by people, but it's most importantly a people game played with cards. Now, relationship to luck, it comes into play about 30% of the time. The rest of it has to do with how you're playing your game. And one of the things that I've learned over the years is that it's important to play your game rather than to mimic someone else's. Mm -hmm. And my philosophy has always been, and, and it came from being a manager of salespeople, and it was play your authentic game. Find the power in you and who you really are and accentuate that rather than try to play like somebody else. So in relationship to the math, they are very left brain. A lot of the players are left brain. And they would say, I'd say, all you have to do is shift your mindset. And they'd go, "Ah, how do you do that? And so they were the ones, and I am so grateful they were the ones who prompted me to actually turn the mind shifting exercises that I've been doing since I was six years old into simple steps. And because I'm, I'm, I guess my verb, if there's each of us has a verb, I guess mine is simplify. (laughs) Okay. I like that. You, um, I can't remember the year, but you went to an NLP uh, seminar and recognized the importance of words of how you say and what you say really can change your life. What year was that? Do you remember? Uh, it was the early 80s. Okay. It was after I opened my real estate office in 1983 and before I actually um, published my first book in 85. So it was 83, 84. And I remember it well because I actually had opened a business and I didn't have an assistant, but I literally closed the business and, and just put a sign on the door and said, I'll be back in a week. Because I had heard about the NLP and I really was curious about it. And it has been life-changing to understand that the words we say, the words we choose, mm-hmm. set ourselves up for either success or failure. That's right. Yeah. Uh, it, it's very interesting. And you have to be very mindful all the time, don't you? And, and it's something, you know, I mean, you get used to it. But I think that, uh, like anything, we need to be mindful of of how we walk through this world and what we say, you know, I'm one that you can't take back things said. And so I'm always really mindful about people calling people names about, I'm very sensitive to that. And I imagine at, you know, six foot five, you would have been sensitive to that as a, as a young girl. Well, it was sensitive. Yes. But I hurt I physically hurt. I grew nine inches in one year. And when you grow that fast, your bones grow faster than your muscles and your ligaments. And literally, I hurt all over because the the muscles, the ligaments were trying to actually pull away from under the foot 
Oh, because wow. your Achilles tendon is the longest one. It goes down the back of the leg. Mm-hmm. And in the summer between the fifth and sixth grade, mother took me to a doctor. And he said, the only thing that we can do is take the pressure off of the heel. So they put me in heels going into the sixth grade. <laughs> can you imagine? Now, how, how tall were you in grade six? Grade six, I was five nine. Going wow. I've always envied people who are tall. My mom was five eight. I'm like five one. So, <laughs> well, my mother so beautifully. Oh, my mother is five eight, and mother mother is still with us. Thankfully, I'm so blessed. She's ninety two, and she is an. She's not a standard ninety two. Mm-hmm. She's an athlete who's gotten older. And when mother mother was a basketball star in high school. Oh wow! And she told me that when I ever hit the same score, she, I was a mother. What's your highest score? And she said, when you hit it, I'll tell you. She's never told me. Oh. <laughs> so where's the height come from? Mom's side, dad's side? I guess it's collective. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, my mother's side, uh, mother was, was one of the tallest of 10 children. She had one sister that was taller than she. Uh, my father uh, did have a brother who was 6'4", I believe. So it probably came from dad. Dad was only six feet. Okay. I have one brother who is six one. At least he says he's six one, but he's not. He's not. We shrink tall. a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> my husband always said he was six feet too, but he shrunk. <laughs> and I, I passed my brother up in the ninth grade, and he he that really kind of offended him. When he never I forgave you for that. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> now you not the height's that important, but you you write that your husband's five three, and he's the only man that you look up to. I love that. Yeah, that's right. He is an absolute man with a huge heart. People say he's what? And, and I tell them and they go, what? And I'll go, well, you know, I'll hold my hand right about the, you know, here. And I'll say, well, you know, he comes up to about here and you know, that's well, then it's not his fault. He can't look you in the eyes. <laughs> uh, I want you to think about this and, and, and I want you to understand that this can be the perfect place. Yeah. That's all you can do the visuals if you want. Yeah, that's what I was saying. <laughs> you can't look in your eyes, but you can't, you can't fault him for that. <laughs> I love that. So you, you, you began, when, what year did you begin coaching or around? I began coaching after I did a strong finish in the World Series of Poker Main Event Championship. In, okay. two, in 2007, I was able to win my entry into the main event. It's a $10,000 buy-in. I was able to win oh, wow. that by, in a satellite, which is a smaller tournament that you play in and you kind of step into it. And I was able to win my way into that. It cost me $216 to win my entry into it. And I was able to complete compete against 6,400 players, and I finished as a top fourth woman. Wow. Congratulations on that. That's amazing. I've always loved cards. Love, love, love them in every kind of variety, whether I'm playing the game or tarot or anything. I love cards. Cards, I love them. Um, and poker, I've always liked poker. I don't play professionally. I never have. But... I just, I, I think that I'm a lucky player because uh, I'm certainly not a mathematician, <laughs> but, but I think I manifest what I want, you know? Well, you are a people reader. Yeah. And that's, uh, yes, it's important to be able to understand the math. The math is actually really easy when you break it down. Like, remember I told you my, my strength has to do with simplifying. It took me for ever to understand pod odds and hand odds and when i finally understood it i looked at the books that had been written about it and they were all written by men no offense guys i want you to understand no offense 
but they were using words that were unnecessary to describe it. And so uh, when my husband would start teaching me about it, I'd go, simplify it. You've got to make it simple. And when I finally understood it, I said, this is a whole lot easier than people think. Yeah. And I think, I think part of that too is, you know, in your book, you talk a lot about, um, or you get the sense that, that the things that, that, you know, we take in and, and look and think about ourselves, not necessarily true, but one of those things, like for me, I had a math teacher in grade three. He said, like, you're really stupid. You'll never learn math. And so I believe that for the longest time, for the longest time, even into adulthood. And then something happened. I don't know. And I went, wait a second. This isn't, that hard but they had told me it was so hard that I was so stupid with it that I would never get it and so I believed them and you know what it was kind of easier just to let other people do it at that point but you know I don't like other people doing things for me so I like to know how to do things myself and and I, and I got it but it wasn't as hard as if it, it was bad teaching not a bad student yeah, like I, you. I, I agree a hundred percent and it, it has to do with what teachers tell you Mm-hmm. And and when something somebody says something, you know, it, it was like when I was airlifted from our local hospital to the University of Florida Teaching Hospital because of the stroke, Halloween of 2013. That's a, that's a day yeah. I have a mask on. And all along the way, the healthcare team is saying she will never be able to speak again. It will take her eight to nine months before she can speak fluidly. And I chose to disconnect from that. I chose. Rather than to own it, I chose to observe it. Yeah. And That's fantastic because a lot of people would have owned that. But you had already written this book. And you, you were saying, wait a second, prove to me that this works. And you got your proof, man. You got it. Yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience. And, and I talk about stroke of genius because it was, it was actually something that gave me the opportunity to experience it. And it's it, interesting because I had been thinking that, what I needed to do was I needed to talk to healthcare, a healthcare team. I needed to talk, talk about to manifesting, doctors. right? <laughs> I needed to talk to nurses and doctors and, and talk about how they might be interested in this. And five weeks after I had my stroke, I had a heart surgery because I had the stroke because of what they call AFib, which is when the top part of your heart is out of sync. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it it was a great opportunity to have a close-up conversations with doctors and nurses. And I had to have a heart cath the day before the surgery to make sure that my heart was in position to have surgery because they had never done a heart cath on me before. And uh, I went in as an outpatient, and they didn't have a room for me. They were waiting to get a room. And so I, I said, I don't care where I wait. doesn't matter. Hey, I'm having a ball. And, and this was five weeks after, and it's just a great place to be, a wonderful place to be. And when I came out of the heart cath, I said, I know you're not supposed to tell me, but can you please tell me what it was? And somebody said, we're not supposed to tell you this, but your heart looks like you're 16. And I said, whoa, I'll take that. And during that uh, time from 10 o'clock to 5.30, people would come over and said, hey, I, I heard you are a coach. What do you coach? And I would tell them, and it's basically mind shifting because my poker coaching clients would say, you know, teach me how to mind shift. And so I shared with them one of the mind shift exercises. I thought, which one do I want to share with them? And I would watch as people came in 
and the team was energized and all of a sudden they were seemed to be pulled down. You know how when somebody comes in that's negative, they yeah. seem to bring that dark cloud with them? And so I, I taught them how to put on their egg and it was astonishing. I shared it with 13 or 14 people during that day. And the heart doctor, doctor who had done the heart cath came to me at 5.30, put her hand on my forearm and said, what have you been teaching my people? <laughs> and I said, well, I just, just, it's just a mind. It's just a different way of thinking. And she said, teach me. Wow. And I said, okie dokie. And so I shared the, the process with her. And when she finished, she said, it's a wonderful exercise. And she said, I, I feel a lot better. And she said, you need to talk to our CEO. And that was a, a wonderful thing to happen. So, Wow. Congratulations on that. That's exciting. You know, it, I was in a hospital for six months too. And so um, I know what it's like to talk to healthcare. And it was a real difference between a trauma hospital and a rehab hospital. And going from trauma where they're just so busy and, and, and really they don't care anymore. Like they really just didn't really care too much to, to rehab where they didn't care if it took 10 people to help you do something, you were going to do it. They were going to make sure you did it and help you, you know, um, forward. And it was such a different mindset. And, and, and so, you know, I talked, I, I asked the CEO if I could talk to the, to the hospital, to the group too, because I thought, you know, maybe they don't remember why they got into this, but it's always nice for them to remember how much good they're doing. And, it, you know, and I wish I could have done it at the, at the trauma hospital too, because I think those doctors and nurses, they forgot a lot of why they went into, into medical care. You know, it's about people. And, and unfortunately, um, a lot of times in, in trauma care, it's your case. You're not a person and you made them see you as a person. Yeah, they have to, they, in trauma, they have to do it really quickly and they do make fast decisions. It's in, it, it's, it's kind of like playing poker because you have to make fast decisions because in now, today, and these days, they actually have started a, a clock so that uh, you, you have only a certain number of seconds that you can finish a hand. And it's like I had to figure out how to shift my mindset when I'm upset because mm -hmm. in poker, you, you go on to tilt and uh, you, let's the tilt, the place where you're out of balance. And you can't say, oh, excuse me, please. I need to go meditate for half an hour. I'll be back. Right. Yeah, of course not. <laughs> so my, my coaching clients have oftentimes told me that my mind shift exercises are like yoga and meditation on steroids. Love it. So. Well, you do. I mean, you have to collect yourself, recollect yourself, because once you start spiraling, it's over, right? You got to do it. So let's talk a bit, you know, this mind shifting, power shifting, clutching, exercise. <laughs> You likened it to a car, and, and for many people, I mean, I, I taught all my kids how to drive standard, so I get it. Um, <laughs> where did that, shifting the gears, I guess I kind of get it. Well, it had to do with when I'm thinking about where you really need to be, and you seem like you're going from one gear to the other con constantly, you know, you're you're like a race car driver trying to get through things, I mean... I don't know about you, but sometimes I get lassoed into my emotions, lasso me into what's happening. And I don't take that time out. And I thought, you know, if you're going to do something that will coax you into being relaxed, well, that's kind of neutral. Mm -hmm. So that's where I was trying to figure out how to do it. And I was playing with the, the gears one day. And I said, you know, this is kind of a, a neat 
mind shifting exercise without the car because when you move your body in sync with what you're doing when what you're thinking when you move the body it gives your mind different parts of your brain things to do yeah the more things you ask your brain to do the more it shifts away from anxiety and stress and emotional chaos just by simply you know you're reaching for a gear you're moving your left your left leg in and out, foot in and out like you're on a clutch. Excuse me. You're doing that because, and you look at it, and you're activating your head, you're moving your muscles. And the more that you do in a simple mind shift exercise, the more you shift away from anxiety. So do people, um, do you find that people who uh, study your exercises or, at, you know, the, the mind shift, that they can quickly, that they get it and they can quickly move out of one um, one mood, let's say to another, or from fear to anxiety, or take a while, or I've had people be able to do it on the first exercise. Nice. When the book was published, I was um, took, I had that a, a couple of weeks later. I took my husband to a regular appointment at the VA hospital in Tampa, and I took a book down to his team because I wanted to to gift it to them. And one of the nurses took the book and she said, you have to come with me now. She's this little tiny girl. Imagine this. She grabs a hold of my wrist and she's dragging me down the hall. She said, you need to talk to the chief of the pain clinic. I said, okay. So I went to talk to him and he said, share one of the mind shifting exercises with me. And I shared one. It takes about three or four minutes to go through the process. And he said, I'd like for you to come and speak to the pain clinic. He said, it's next Tuesday. Can you come? And I said, sure. I said, how much time? And he said, 15 minutes. And I'm going, well, I don't have any idea how that's going to work in 15 minutes. I'll give it a try. So my husband went with me and, excuse me, my husband went with me and I wanted to start out with something comical because if we can get humor into it, it opens up our mind. It opens up our body. And so I had him come up and we did a little goofy thing. This is my husband and here I am and. And they went, ha, ha, ha. And, it, you know, they're going, I, I, I said a few things that were not off-color, but kind of fun to do. Because, and, and I won't say the words, but when I met, when we met 35 years ago, he thought I was a big, and you can fill in the blank. And he thought, I thought he was a little, and you can fill in the blank. And uh, people laughed about that. And I, I shifted them through, um, hmm, isn't that interesting? And I asked them to bring up pain to begin with the one that's just really bothering them, and to rate it where they were on the pain scale. Uh, zero's nothing, and 10 is the worst it can be. And there were about 13 people in that particular um, session. And when I finished, I said, rate where you are. And two of the people nearly jumped out of the chairs and said, I went from, a, from an 8 to a 3 in that 90-second shift. It was, it was amazing. Wow, that is phenomenal. So it's fast. What happens is... I've had people come back to me two weeks later and say, it no longer works. And I said, okay, how many times have you done it? And they said, just that once. (laughs) And I said, okay, how many times do you take a shower? And they went, well, I take a shower every day. I said, that's a good point. Because what happens is we're like an onion. You peel back something that's giving you a problem, and you know you may even cause, may, may, you might, might even cry about it. Uh, but it, you really need to continually and conscientiously do the mind shifting because it helps you to. Well, it, you reprogram your 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 neural pathways, 
you reroute the, the brain because when you shift away from the way you think, your brain goes, hey, I like that. I'll, I'll try that a different way. And it actually sends what I was told was code modifiers to the subconscious because of the way that we shift and we send questions to the subconscious in a way that helps to reprogram that. Because our underlying, our subconscious is what actually uh, controls us because it's our beliefs, our yep. values programmed in when we were, by the time we were six, most of it was there. You, what, what does your mom say about trying? My mother was way before Yoda. <laughs> mother said, there is no try. There is no try. There is no try. She said, you either do or you don't. There right. is no try. Yeah. That's the trans line. <laughs> That's right. She told me that all my life. Yeah, that's awesome. And I love how, how your mom, you know, told you to stand up and be proud. And, and that, that's, a, that's a huge thing. You know, I, I always say, people say, well, how did you get to be where you are today? Because my dad told me I could do it. He told me I could do anything when I was a little girl. And I think it's so important to have somebody, you know, um, when you're young to tell you that you can be and do anything that you want to be and do. However, if, you, if it didn't happen for you, you can still, like you said, question those beliefs, that belief system that was uh, – given to you by the time you were six because most people i find they don't question their beliefs they 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 they're there and then that's the end of it right they believe oh i have to be in pain for the rest of my life i have to have this stroke so it's going to take me a year to recover for the rest of my life you know all these things that they don't question and if they just did it would be a different outcome don't you think it would and and i was raised strict southern baptist and when i went to college i kept going I just don't like that judgmental aspect of it. And I shied away from religion for close to 20 years until I realized one day, my goodness, I'm being judgmental about someone being judgmental. <laughs> oh, well, that doesn't work. <laughs> That's so cute. Oh, I love it. So when you were that little girl, Donna, yes. what did you think you would be when you grew up? Anything. 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 Actually, uh, at one time, I thought I was going to be the president of the United States. But you knew you were leaving Coal, Coal City there. <laughs> I, I actually, from the time I was a, 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 a small, a young person, the Younger. time I was a young person, I wanted to be out of the mountains. I mean, this was the mountains, a southwestern corner of Virginia. Mm -hmm. The coal mining camp where I was raised was called Andover. It was one mile from the, the town was actually Appalachia, which yeah. is three, three miles from one called Big Stone Gap. Big Stone Gap has some fame today. Um, and it was, I just wanted to be out there because there wasn't much to do. I mean, I was in the sixth grade, excuse me, when I was six, not the sixth grade, when I was six, I actually had a disease that you might find surprising. At the age of six, I had a disease that actually is supposed to stunt your growth. I had tuberculosis. Oh, wow. And when I was six, uh, they went in to do a biopsy. And during that biopsy, my heart stopped for six minutes. And when your heart stops for more than five minutes, they're convinced that you'll have brain damage. And I went to one of those places that, you know, they call it near death today, but yeah. there wasn't anything near about it. I was there. And I was no longer a six-year-old. I was completely aware. 
And uh, it was like I was immediately plugged into that great universal library in the sky. And it was a beautiful place to be. And I didn't want to come back. And when I'm looking down at the shell, this, this body that I had been in, they were scurrying around the, the uh, operating room. And I'm going, it's okay. <laughs> I'll stay. I'll stay. And it was almost like there was a boot that bo- booted me back in. And when I woke up, I was afraid to speak because I knew that if I shared with them where I had been, in those days in 1955, yeah. they yeah. would have put me into a state mental hospital. And I didn't say a word for two weeks. And I finally said, well, I better speak. And I said, what's for dinner? <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. And it was, it, it, when I said I've been mind shifting since then, it, it, I guess it was the seeds that started that because I, I knew a lot of things that I had no words for. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even share the experience until I was in 16 and then well hormones took over and you know it's like I almost forgot that experience until I had the stroke it was almost like the stroke brought that back into a circle yeah that awareness because I guess I had a lot of things to do I, I had six more than six decades to make mistakes and I'm telling you what if I were to disclose everything I had done, you'd go, you did what? <laughs> <laughs> and I want to tell you that I, even though there's a lot of the things that were mistakes, a lot of things that I dealt with being in abusive situations and being the recipient of the uh, abuse, I have to tell you that regardless of how traumatic everything was, I'm absolutely glad that happened because I love where I am today. I right. am I am me because of all of that. Yes, yes, and you know it's so interesting that you talk about your your NDE because um, a few shows ago I had, a, had I've had a lot of people on who've had near death experiences, but the, the the common denominator is nobody ever wanted to come back. Everybody was kind of forced to come back. They had made a promise that they were going to do something in this life for people, and they're kind of like, hey, you haven't you know you have an opportunity to get out of it here, here, and here. But when you had the stroke, you could have gone or come back and done what you you know what you did and and you went on to fulfill i'm sure that promise that you made uh to spirit to to come and and help people and teach them about this this mind shifting and and help take them to the new you know into the new um dimension that we're moving towards i think you know and i think it's it's a beautiful way to do that thank you and that's exactly where i i feel i am because God gave me a six foot five inch tall body because I'm supposed to be out there in front of people. And even when I'm on a a show like this, where we are live by way of the internet Mm -hmm. and you led by saying she's six five and that's cool because it gives that image because it will help people to remember that. But it's not that I want people to remember me. I want them to remember that they have the ability to shift their mindset in the moment when they use some tools and that's why I put the book together because my coaching clients kept saying, would you please write this down? And that was the stimulus for it. You're very clever um, to, to keep mentioning the egg, the egg, the egg, but you don't give the egg till the very end of the book. (laughs) Don't start reading backwards. (laughs) 
I loved it. Well, it, and, and my, I've had so many people that have gone through the book. And, and by the way, the book is, if some people are a fast reader and they want to read through the book quickly, and that's okay. But what I want people to do is if you want to read through it fast, go ahead and read through it. But then I want you to come back and read one chapter a day mm-hmm. because there's processes that are very simple. Some of them are a little weird. Some of them are, I didn't, never wanted to sound woo-woo. I want things to be practical. But mm-hmm. there's some imagination in there. But I want you to take, to savor that, even to take 24 hours to let your subconscious work on it. It will help to become yours. And it actually takes about six times reading through the book before the methods become really ingrained because it takes six times doing anything as a, as a minimum before it says, mm-hmm. before it becomes something that we know. And um, so I, it's really important to do that. But even with my coaching clients, I, I would say, I would teach them, the, hmm, isn't that interesting? And then I would talk about the egg later, but they'd say, well, why are you waiting so long? I said, because you need the groundwork. You need the foundation of the understanding how to do that. You know, I, it, it, as I visualized, as I read the book and I visualized the etheric body and, and this actually protect, putting a shell there to, to protect from those energy vampires and those people who are just everywhere ready to suck the life out of you. And it's so true. I mean, even, even the internet and all this stuff, the TVs and the phones and everything, they're all there to, you know, they do that. But people more than anything, if you allow them to get to you, will will just drive you crazy. <laughs> they that, really will. That's absolutely the case. And, and when I first discovered the concept of putting on an egg was in the eighties. No, no, I'm sorry. Back up 10 years. It was in the seventies. Oh, wow. And, um, it was, I was learned that our body doesn't stop at the skin. You know, there's an energy field that goes out from there, and we don't know how far that is. It depends on how you feel. If you're very tired, your energy field around you is smaller. If you're really energized, it's, it goes out a bit further. You know how when somebody walks up behind you and you, you feel them there even though you don't hear them? Mm-hmm. Somebody's there. It's because they're touching your energy field. Their energy field is touching your energy field. So it, it, the whole concept of putting on a virtual, um, um, imaginary, but it's absolutely real, an egg. And even more than a shell, I want it to think of it as a flexible membrane and put it on like so a that wet it, suit that sits out a little bit. <laughs> that's it. That's exactly right. And it's very strong, like a wetsuit. You can break it because think about uh, saran wrap the mm-hmm. plastic wrap how hard it is well how hard is it to get into something that you buy i mean you know <laughs> to get in that plastic yeah but it, it, with a saran wrap if you hit it really hard with a motion you can crack it from the inside out so with the egg you can put the egg on one time but you need to do do a little bit of daily maintenance it only takes a few seconds to do that you just get quiet and say, you know, are there any cracks in the egg? And I need to go ahead and patch them. And when I first started patching them, I'm going, I don't know how to do that. I know that's cracked because I was so fractured about some things. And so I finally decided, well, okay, I'll use that shiny duct tape. Duct tape will do anything. Yeah. Outside. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So 
you've, you've got these techniques and, and you've got all these followers now and, and everybody who is listening, um, fear, anxiety, overwhelm, whatever it is that you need to calm down from or to release from, from your mind so that you can get on with your life. And, you know, I think it's a really great, there's very good techniques, and even if it's not for your anxiety, but just the idea of listening to what you say to yourself. Um, and I'm thinking specifically right now of, like, weight loss and, and how you talk to yourself and how you talk yourself into and out of doing the things that you know are good for you. And the ego was right there well, willing to help you talk yourself right into doing some really bad things. And, but, you know, there's a part of you that says, no, I really, really don't want to eat that food. I want to be thinner. I want to feel healthy. I want to look like that person over there as you keep stuffing food in your mouth. And so your technique is a really great opportunity for them to take a moment and stop the madness, hear what they're saying, think about what it is they really truly want and work around the, the, um, the saboteur. Yeah. And, and if in relationship to the eating, there's actually a mind shift exercise that's not in the book that I've been using a long time Okay, and I call it the three bite rule. Okay. And this is the way you do it. You have this cookie that you want to eat. Okay. I give myself permission. I can have three bites. So you take the first bite. And you spend some time chewing that and saying, is that as good as I remember it to be? Is this something that I want more of? And you chew it. And sometimes it's, oh, yeah, that's wonderful. And sometimes it's, no, it's not really that good at all. So you have a choice. Do you want a second bite? Um, yeah, okay, I'll have a second bite. You take a second bite and you're going, Just well, to make sure. Yeah, you know, okay, well, that's. That's good. Most of the time, you're going to go, I don't really need that third yeah. bite. Yeah. When you get to the third bite, what's happened is that when you've taken more time to chew, it actually gives time for the, uh, the protein or the sugar to go to the parts of the brain that said, okay, I'm, I'm satisfied. By the time you get to the third bite, you can say, I can have more three bites later. And most of the time, you're going, you know, that, wow. I can leave that alone and and you put it away and what's going to happen is is you're going to go wow I really feel empowered I am empowered by doing it that way so it's a three bite rule it's it's a powerful way and by the way rather than losing weight please let me give you some words to to shift to and it's I am willing in this moment to release that which no longer serves me so release it rather than lose it. Because when we focus on losing something, if that's what we get into, it's actually manifesting has to do with the law of attraction. If we're involved in losing weight, losing weight, losing weight, we lose the weight and the universe says, oh, you love to lose weight. Here, have some more back so you can lose it again. I call it my positive meltdown. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Let's have a positive meltdown. Well, I had I had a, a six-year pity party. I broke... Uh, left foot and ankle and leg. It was the bottom part of the leg. It was a terrible break. And I had a six-year pity party, and I put on over 100 pounds in six years because I was accustomed to walking five miles a day. Oh, wow. And I had, uh, I had a, a six surgeries, and I was non-weight-bearing for more than 50% of the time. And when I was able to start walking, 
the doctor said, you know, you really shouldn't walk because the bones are too soft. Now, I was had so much extra weight, I had that stress on it, and I started getting stress fractures on the, the shins when I would walk. And so they said, you can't walk. I said, well, okay. And I actually had, uh, I did, I thought, well, is it okay if I have a surgery? And I felt really guilty about doing a surgery. And I said, that's okay. I'm going to go ahead and figure out how to get that done. And I said, I went through the process of releasing that which no longer serves me. And one of the things that I would do, because they said we'd never seen anybody lose weight as fast as you did. I would, when I was feeling anxious or anxiety, I feel like you have the, you know what a Pac-Man is? Yep. That Pac-Man game. You ever feel like they're like attached to you? You ever think of that? Well, I, when I would feel anxious about something, I would go take a shower and I would envision that it was washing off these Pac-Men and they would go down the drain and they were going down the drain and I would see them going down. And I thought, well, while I'm doing that, let's just release some cells. Why not release some fat cells? Because since you have the ability to replace every cell in the body within a year, why not replace them with skinny cells? So there was a process and it seemed to work really well. Good for you. <laughs> you are definitely in control, my dear. You understand how to be in control, which is more important in a positive way. And I think that is what people are looking for today. Well, you know, I am oftentimes words still come out of my mouth that I went, who the heck said that? But I have learned two magical words that are not in the book, but I want to leave this with you and your people and anyone that hears our voice or sees our beautiful faces. I want to know that when something comes out of your, your mouth, let's say you say something that is sabotaging, self-sabotaging, and you know that it's detrimental to you, at the end of that, like you might say something, and all you say is, until recently. Because what you've done is you have done a cancel for your subconscious and when you say, until recently. And all of a sudden you're going, oh, I feel so much better. So when you put until recently, so anything that you can think of, if you're going, I am so hard on myself until recently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's a powerful two word phrase, just two words, something you can do. And just what, because what was happening after the stroke was I would be starting to try to find a word. And I learned a process when words were mislaid. I mean, have, do you ever mislay words frankie all the time especially as i'm aging here until yeah. recently until recently <laughs> <laughs> and what would happen is that i found that i was getting frustrated when you can't find a word you get frustrated yeah because the more you get frustrated the more you're actually pushing that word down into your subconscious and you can see it i can see the word i can see the people that are associated with the word i can see but i can't get that word yes you can until recently. Uh, <laughs> yes, you can get the word because all you need to do is to say, describe the word. And I was doing this with my husband for probably six to eight months after the stroke because I was having to locate words. Mm -hmm. And I needed some help locating words. In fact, today, um, when I'm speaking in front of people, I may still mislay a word, misplace it. And I've asked people, is it okay if I ask for assistance in finding a word? And they're going, sure, I'll help you. I was talking to 300 people one day, and I was, I'd lost a word, temporarily mislaid. And I described the word, and I'm going, here, help me find this. And three or four people jumped up as they're saying the word, and I said, that's exactly it. And when you're doing that, 
just say, where is that word? Describe it. Say the definition of it. And then say, where is that word? And then go about what you're doing, and it will float up to your subconscious. It will float up, yeah, eventually. But you know what? I mean, that's, that's part, of, part of the issue. Is that when you're on live air and you're going, duh, duh, uh, what's that word? What's that word? What's that word? I'm trying to think of that word. And it's like you just don't have the time to let it come to you. It needs to come now. But, yeah, I, I did notice that, you know, more and more recently, um, as I've been aging a little bit, that um, it's been an issue. And it could be because I was also in an accident and I did lose a lot of um, short-term memory. So I don't know. Who knows? But whatever. It's, it's not a problem anymore. You've solved it. Well, the, the short, short-term memory reminded me of uh, a man that, was a, that I came across in traumatic brain injury at the VA hospital. Now, the only way that I can mention, I won't mention his name, but the only way I can even talk about his story was that he actually wrote me a letter. Oh. Because I have a letter from him, and he had lost all of his memory. Oh, my goodness. He did not recognize nor know the name of his wife or children. And he his memory system was damaged to the point that he didn't know, couldn't remember what he did yesterday. Wow. And we're... Um, I do poker therapy at the VA hospital in Tampa because I wanted to talk about mind shifting and I would talk about mind shifting while you're trying to teach people something when they're having traumatic brain injury and it's like going over their head and I'm going, wait a minute, you know, stop the slides, go deal the cards, something to do. It's the physicality of it. True. And I would do what I call smuggling spirituality into it without ever saying the S word. And, um, so I was just talking about how to play the game, and and he was in the sessions for three months. I only go once a month, and the and I have this routine where I started. This is what I'd like for you to do when you're dealt dealt your cards. Rather than look immediately at your cards, I'd like for you to wait. And because the cards aren't going to change, I want you to wait and be aware of the other people as they're looking at their cards. Mm-hmm. Then when it comes to you and it's your turn to act, rather than just look at the cards quickly, first of all, I want you to take a breath. One breath. It's your turn to act. Some poker players get really annoyed at me because I do this every time. Take a breath, and then I look at the cards, and I look at the cards, and it's called the six-second rule. I say the cards to myself three times because I learned to do this when I was in a tournament in Tunica, Mississippi at the Horseshoe in the 15 years ago. And I was, I looked down and I had red aces and I snapped the cards down. And when I did, I heard the snap and I looked up and there were people from all around who heard the snap and they were looking up to see who had the aces because the snap had, you know, you snap down a really good hand. You don't want to see it. So it was like, that's a clue. So I developed a six-second rule. So, and then you look at the cards and say them to yourself three times regardless of what they are because you want to develop the consistency. So you don't give off what they call poker tails. Right. Give yeah. you a clue as to what my hand is. So the third month, when I started saying that, he took over and parroted what they were supposed to do. Only two times saying it, he was able to recall that. So the letter said to me, even though I have no interest in the game of poker, 
and it wasn't really that I learned how to play poker. What you did teach me was how to think differently. Yeah. And I was such a blessing. I'm so curious, though. That makes me very curious. So I have to ask this question. Maybe you know, maybe you don't know. Intuitively, even though he didn't recognize his wife and his children, was there an attraction anyway or, or something that pulled him there? Or was it just like, I don't know you people. This is just too weird. I have no idea. There, there was no way I could ever question about that mm-hmm. because when you're the HIPAA rules have to do with you never ask a question of the patient. And I'm only there as a volunteer. Yeah. Yeah. To, no, to I'm curious to, though. I don't know. That would be really interesting to know. Yeah. You know, that That's maybe you could ask them now that you're friends, your, your pen pals. <laughs> and then you can let me know. Okay. <laughs> Donna, you're such a delight. Thank you so much for coming on the show with me today. It's oh, so I'm so glad. Here. And by the way, I, 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 the Isn't That Interesting, which is my signature mind shift exercise, I have that in a four-minute audio on the book site. And the, the book site is themindshiftondemand.com. So if, if so anyone... Go there and, and experience it for yourself. That's right. You're going to take, them, you're going to take us through that. That's, that's yeah. really exciting. Um, mind shifting. On demand. Mind shift, on mind shift on demand. Donna's latest book. And you can, you can grab it on Amazon. You can grab it in however you want. <laughs> but go get it. Yeah, and and I think it will really add to your lexicon. Well, thank you. And, and I have to get back to doing... Here, I'm going to make a commitment. Because it was caregiving with my mother. Because she had uh, two falls in July. And two, two concussions. And two, two broken ribs. And it's been more caregiving, but I'm so glad to be able to be able to do that. But mm-hmm. I've dropped some of doing my back end work with emailing out my list and being sure to, to give them. I'm in a process of doing a, a complimentary webinar with three mind shift exercises. So oh, wow. Awesome. Anyone that opts in, I'll be able to tell them. And I'm going to do that. I'm making a commitment here public and live that I will get that done. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you sign up for it, folks. Go to go to Donna's website again and sign up. And so she has your, your name and she can email you about this free webinar. It's going to be exciting. How great is Thank that? You. Thanks you're, for, you're, for making you're... that commitment. And tell me for you, what is your biggest takeaway from the book? I think the biggest takeaway is I don't have to wait. I don't have to wait to change my mind. I don't have to wait. You know, it doesn't take a hundred times of doing it. It doesn't, you know, I don't have to, and it's not difficult. So I don't have to wait and it's not difficult. And I think that's the biggest thing because when you are in a, in a situation where you really need to shift your mind, you need to do it now. You don't need to do it three weeks from now or a year from now. You need to do it now. And you don't need anybody else to be there to help you do it. And I think that's really important too. You do, I mean, I'm a coach, you're a coach. You don't have to have a coach to do it. Coach just told you how to do it. You can just do it. And I think that's the simplicity. Like you said, the simplicity is, is, is what makes you, um, you tick. And I think you, that, that came through. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. Facebook, we are taking off. We will see you again on Thursday. Say goodbye to Donna. Thank you. Bye-bye.